Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think. On the podcast today, building investment models and a whole lot more. We will discuss what goes into building successful investment models, how to choose the best model provider, and what else sets investment firms apart, plus summer movies. That's with our returning guest, chief investment officer, former colleague, and movie expert, Koshi Edis of Dynamic Advisor Solutions. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, Rusty, let's start with a look at the markets. What are you watching for at the moment? We are recording this in May. So at this point, the debt ceiling talks are dominating headlines, but we're also at the end of earnings season. And as for how earnings season came out, revenues and earnings, the absolute levels were below average, but I think there were some encouraging signs. Bottom line, the economy continues to do better than most people think, at least so far. Also, given it's May, here in Omaha, we just had the Berkshire Hathaway meeting where Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger give us their wisdom. And of course, the meeting is basically like a rock concert for investors from all around the world. So today's podcast guest attended that meeting as he usually does, and we'll pick his brain on his key takeaways, as well as investing, and perhaps most importantly, given he's known for watching nearly every movie out there, summer movies. Yes. All right. Well, let's bring him in. Costa Edis is Chief Investment Officer at Dynamic Advisor Solutions in Phoenix, Arizona. Costa, welcome back to The Weighing Machine. Oh my gosh, it's so great to be here. So great to see you, Robin and and Rusty. And I've been looking forward to this all year. Nice. Well, it's great to see you. It is an annual tradition now, right? So we got to talk summer movies. So this will be published, you know, summer, some summer movies will already be out. But before we talk movies and markets, of course, we had a walk-up song. And last year you had a walk-up song that put a smile on her face. Why can't we be friends? Is that what you're sticking with or do you have a new one? I am sticking with that for my walk-up song because, you know, as I mentioned last year, if you're walking out and you see Mike Tyson on the other side, you're singing, why can't we be friends? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to pull a new one on you. I don't know if you've ever done this before. I'm going to signify a walk-out song on your way out. And my pick is, you've got a friend in me. (laughs) That's uh, from Toy Story, the original Toy Story, the first Pixar movie, because, you know, no matter how my truest belief, my personal philosophy is no matter how heated a debate can get, there's always a way to amicably get through it and walk out friends in the end. Nice. Well, a couple questions. First of all, who's Mike Tyson? Is it Robin or I? (laughs) you you both have the qualities (laughs) i think it's robin i don't think everyone's ever made that comparison before but all right (laughs) hey unofficially i do think that our highest rated and most highly acclaimed podcasts are those where our guests sing their walk-up song in this case their walk-out song so thank you (laughs) Uh, i love it Awesome. All right. Well, Kosha, let's talk about you for a minute. So as regular listeners may know, we all work together at CLS Investments back before it was Orion. And then you went on to Director of Investment Research at Orion, and now you are a CIO at Dynamic Advisor Solutions. So I want to hear all about your new position. But first, let's give our listeners some background about who you are, because you also have a really fascinating personal story. Yeah. Thank you for asking. In fact, I love telling the story, if anyone's ever seen me present. In fact, when I used to present the risk budgeting scale, Rusty, I think that was your favorite part about it was talking about how I came to America, essentially, because I am not originally from here, given my name is Konstantin Grigorievich Edis. I was born and raised in Novosibirsk, Russia. 
born and raised in Soviet Russia, came to America in 1993. And it's really that upbringing. You know, I have multiple master's degrees and CFA charter holder and over 10 years working with you, Rusty, learning everything from you. But even though all that's great, none of that prepared me for investing world or real life, like growing up on the mean streets of Soviet <laughs> Russia. Now, just to paint the picture, times are tough, right? This is the late 80s. First off, Russia, Novosibirsk stands for New Siberia. So we're talking next to that uninhabitable region, you know, sub-zero temperatures, 10 feet of snow. Times are tough. You know, people will say, oh, back in my day, I used to go uphill to school each day. Well, I actually did because the snow would drift <laughs> throughout the day. You know, you're always, always going uphill. <laughs> but in Soviet Russia and communist Russia, everybody gets paid the same whether you're a doctor or an architect or you're the janitor. And when everybody gets paid the same, how can you truly be better than anybody else? Everyone has that innate, like inherent spirit in them to try and outdo your neighbor. And the way to do it, if everybody makes the same, is to save more. So you've got an entire country full of savers. And it's, you really... You can't teach that or learn that. It has to be kind of, you have to grow up with it. It has to be ingrained with you. So finding the value in everything, which really prepares you to be a great value investor. But as we all know, if the way to get ahead when everybody makes the same is, you know, by saving, oftentimes people want to cut corners. So quality may be decreased. The story I always tell is, you know, you go look at the milk and sometimes it looks like water. Guess what? It's because it is <laughs> diluted. So it's not just finding the cheapest. It's also looking to make sure you're getting a quality product. So always looking for quality at a reasonable price. I think you've heard that before. I think it took a while for Warren Buffett to figure out that out. I, I had it down before I was nine years old. Nice. So yeah, fast forward to today, love working at Dynamic, overseeing all the investment operations, working closely with the operations teams and the implementations teams, and really just designing our offering, writing commentary, building out marketing materials. And my favorite thing of all, talking to advisors about investing. Mm, awesome. Well, tell us more about Dynamic. Tell us the story of the firm. So Dynamic is another riveting story. This one starts <laughs> with the founder, CEO, Jim Cannon. Great guy, great friend, yet another mentor, just like Rusty. You guys will need to duke it out, I guess, to see who's best. <laughs> so he's a visionary, if you will. He sees an opportunity where there's a drive for more fee-based advisors. Not unlike something that CLS had done for years is exhibiting this trend of going more fee-based, going to RIA model. So he created this company, Dynamic, to essentially support advisors that want to become an RIA, but it's a little too complex sometimes to do it on your own, especially at lower asset levels. There's a lot of complexities. So an advisor can become an IAR and fold under the dynamic RIA umbrella. And essentially, we provide all of the supporting resources, the front, middle, and back office, you know, helping with the custodians, the paperwork, the setup. We've got the technology, which includes Salesforce and Orion and the document repository, the email system. And it includes uh, compliance oversight. That's a huge one, especially for RIAs or fiduciaries overseen by the SEC. So that's all of those things are offered. So essentially, advisors can just sit back and focus on growing their business. They're not inundated with that day-to-day minutiae. Let us take care of that for you. And it's been a great business model. And then after getting more advisors involved, Jim realized, hey, a lot of these advisors actually are looking for investment management too. So then the investment management part of the platform was built out. And that's what I was brought in to help support essentially the growth of the 
investment management part of the business. So Koshin, one thing about Dynamic and, and some of the stuff you're doing there is you crank out a ton of great material on your blog. And one of my recent favorites was the highlights from the Berkshire Hathaway weekend. Can you walk us through some of those highlights? It was a great blog post. Yeah, absolutely. I love writing. We used to uh, write all the time, as you know, Rusty, and I've kind of continued that that trend too uh, here at Dynamic, writing biweekly market commentary, where I always make sure I throw in kind of a, a chart or a graphic that represents key concepts of staying invested or kind of more evergreen charts of here are the reasons why it's important to stay invested for the long term. Keep reinforcing that with advisors, clients, because that's so important. I love Berkshire every year going down there. It's just a riot and it gets crazier and crazier. Like you said, it's it's like a rock concert. And I don't know if you went this year. There's a little bit of stuff at the beginning that they don't show on the digital live stream. And it was like a rap song that was custom made talking about Berkshire and their companies. And then there was the video. Usually it has like famous people in it. Jamie Lee Curtis did it this year, Oscar winner, Jamie Lee Curtis. But it's kind of funny. Warren comes up before the video and says, hey, we're monitoring the entire place. If anybody is caught videotaping the video, we're going to confiscate your phone and you're going to be escorted off the premises. And that's why you'll never see a recording of this thing because he puts the fear into you up front. But that's one reason to go. But really just the atmosphere. It's like nothing else. Standing room only. I mean, the CHI Center fits close to 20,000 people just filled to the brim, even in places where you can't even see anything. <laughs> it was jam-packed. But it's just fascinating to me that Warren at 92 and Charlie at 99 years old, they're still going strong. They're not skipping a beat. They're, just, they're, they're hilarious. And they're just answering questions for almost eight hours straight. I mean, it's a gauntlet. I guess there's an intermission. But my key takeaways, first off, there was a big focus on succession planning. In fact, they kind of showed videos every single year from 1994, like 94, 95, 96. And every year somebody asked the same question, hey, what's gonna happen if something happens to you, Warren? This year was no different. And Warren's answer was simple. We've built a specific culture at Berkshire that will outlive any one person. You know, if anything was to happen to him, it wouldn't it wouldn't impede anything that happens in the day to day operations because of the culture that they've built. And that's huge. And that's true. A lot of other companies I've worked at, including CLS and, and Dynamic. Another kind of comical thing was a lot of people were asking about technology and artificial intelligence. And they never have a shortage of funny quotes. Those guys, Warren usually gives a more robust answer. And then Charlie comes in with something kind of silly. Charlie quickly quips, you know, I think old fashioned intelligence still works pretty good. It was Charlie's answer. But Warren had kind of a more robust, but equally as funny answer. Even though technology may be changing, human nature never will. You know, human beings won't change. And because of that, investing will never change. Because, quote unquote, opportunities come from people doing dumb things. And as long <laughs> as that doesn't change. And then aside from investing, honestly, some of my favorite stuff that comes from that meeting is life advice. They're always giving like little ways of how to better live your life because they have lived a full long life. Mm -hmm. And Warren's was, this is pretty great. Write your own obituary and reverse engineer. Essentially how you live your life is how you want to be remembered at the end. I thought that was fascinating. And Charlie says, you know, doesn't pull any punches. The key to happiness, expect less. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. We know it's true from movies. Rusty, you and I talk about yeah. that all the time. You know, I actually had that written down, that Warren Buffett quote too. It's funny that you've noted that too, about writing your own obituary and reverse engineering it. I also think, you know, Warren's quotes are always so succinct and humorous. Charlie's magic is that it's even more succinct <laughs> and funnier. Yeah. I mean, that's like real genius, right? So 
One question about the blog post. Again, it's really great. I do recommend everybody check it out in the show notes. Is you have a picture of you in it. Was that from this year? Or is that an old picture? With the pink flamingo? Yeah. Uh, yes, that was from this year. That's the mascot for Oriental Trading Company. I know where this is a podcast and we're not actually on video, but I had to get the duckies again. <laughs> These are rubber duckies and it's Warren and Charlie and their look is from their first meeting together. Yeah. Hey, Kosha, we do videograms and also we do socialize. We take a picture from the podcast with one of your quotes. So I think you just gave us that picture. Thank you <laughs> with the rubber duckies. Another thing about the meeting is these guys, nothing there is cheap, as you know. And Warren isn't shy about it, right? You don't come there to, you know, you get these these guys are 10 bucks for these little rubber duckies. <laughs> the dilly bars are cheap. They're still a dollar. Yeah. This is the first one I missed in 20 years, by the way. So I do feel wow. bad, but the dilly bars are a dollar. And so because it's such a deal and I'm also a value investor, my record is nine in one shareholder. Meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Well, hey, let's turn to the main topic for today, and that is building investment models. So, Kostya, tell us some of the most important factors when you're building investment models. So, I've had a long kind of history of working experience with Rusty and designing and building models. And in my view, it comes down to five key concepts. I know, I know it should be three. So I'll, I'll try and narrow it down. You know, everything I do is in threes. Yeah, guess who taught me that one? Hey, five's good too. You just can't have four. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I love it. So the top five things, the first one, and these may be in order of importance. We can debate that. The first one is asset class selection. So the basic way to decide which asset class to include is depending on the types of investment decisions you want to make or the offsets, which types of things offset each other. So value versus growth, large versus small, international versus developed. Those are the types of decisions you want to make. And you always want to have representation of those because they tend to be uncorrelated with each other. But there's also a little curveball in there, and that's out of benchmark asset classes like uh, floating rate bonds. They're not in any broad-based benchmark. International small caps typically are excluded. So including those unique asset classes can really determine how your portfolio performs. Second is asset allocation. So I know, Rusty, at OPS, we would often talk about the Ibbotson study. I know there's been a study about that study, kind of somewhat debatable, but the general story goes is that allocation is more important than security selection, meaning it's more important how much you allocate to large caps versus small caps than it is which large caps you actually pick. At least that's kind of my view on it. So it's really important how much you allocate to each one. And a lot of people kind of get that one wrong, I feel like. So that's a really important one. Next, security selection. So I'm an ETF guy at heart. I love exchange-traded funds. I think they're the innovation that improves on mutual funds. It has all the benefits and eliminates some of the cons. So I truly think it's the future. But a lot of people think that picking ETFs is easy, right? Like they're all created equal. You just pick SPY, right? SPY, the largest, most liquid. It may come to surprise some of the listeners. It's not an ETF, right? It's a trust, and because of the way it's structured, it can't reinvest dividends and it can't do securities lending. It automatically is inferior to some of the other ones, but you really need to do the due diligence. You really need to understand. And then, you know, who decided that the S&P 500 should be your benchmark? You know, we talk about all the time about how inferior all of the CNBC bottom scrolling benchmarks are. <laughs> Rusty, I know your least favorite, right? I always call them the TV benchmarks, right? It's like we're always educating and counseling against them. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I've seen you do a half hour presentation on why the Dow shouldn't even be on there. But your benchmark should be a more broad-based approach. So, you know, the asset classes you choose should be more representative of that. But then 
a lot of people think that ETFs are just passive, right? When you pick a market cap weighted benchmark, it means you're always buying high, right? So that's kind of how market cap weighting works. And we know that there's kind of been research, rigorous research done, academic research to show that factors tend to perform well, you know, tilting towards key factors tends to do well on the equity side. It's actually kind of tough for active managers to beat passive benchmarks. It's tough for an active manager to beat the S&P 500 because all the names are so well covered. You know, we've got supercomputers in the palms of our hands, but factors have proven to work. On the fixed income side, it actually does pay real well to to be an active manager. Maybe not for you and me, Rusty. Well, I'll say for me, but the army of analysts that are on, you know, PIMCO's basement, all they're doing is, you know, reading prospectuses and and they have all the relationships because all bonds trade over the counter. So understanding the type of investment to choose for each asset class. So the point I'm trying to make is there's a lot of complexity in, in choosing the right security for the job. And then typically people stop at those three, but there's two really important concepts because it's not just the investment management portion, it's also the implementation. So number one, we've got rebalance. So a regular rebalance with customized tolerance bands to make sure you get brought back into alignment. That's of a key importance. And then lastly, trading best practices. Rusty, I know we used to hit real hard on those and we do the same at dynamic you know you don't trade in the first half hour the last half hour you try and trade international positions when the you know europe is open you're mindful of the liquid positions monitoring best execution reports all those things are highly important and of course sensitivity to taxes that may be one of the most important things right on so Given all of those best practices and considerations when building investment models, there are a lot of different model providers out there. So how do advisors choose the right one? Absolutely. That's a great question. And honestly, when I hear that question, I know I'm reminiscing a lot, but it's tough not to when I see you guys. But it (laughs) brings me back to, Rusty, when you and I first started looking at OPS, Legacy Orion Portfolio Solutions, Legacy FTJ. And we were saying, you know, how do we differentiate the different types of company, different types of strategies on the platform? And we came up with, you know, two different ways, right? You can differentiate by size or investment style. So for size, for example, a brand or boutique managers or emerging managers. But I think what it really comes down to is, you know, a larger firm or a smaller firm to compare and contrast. And again, I'm going to group everybody into buckets, so I'm not trying to offend anybody. This is just, I think, general broad-based from experience that larger companies tend to have more scale. They have more name recognition, perhaps more safety in that name recognition, maybe a cost advantage due to that scale. But with smaller firms, you get something unique in the partnership. You get Uh, better service, potentially better response times, more collaboration, more customization, and perhaps more support. So, you know, smaller firms may make better partners. And then in terms of style, I mean, that can be its own hour-long podcast, but passive versus active management versus diversifying types of managers. The way that I like to think about it, just my own personal classifications, is there's three different types of active management. I don't know if anybody's truly passive, to be honest. So in the three types of active management, I'm going to divide them into time periods of holding periods. The first one is tactical, shifting in and out of the market quickly. You're either invested in the market or you're in cash. Holding periods typically less than one year. That's a tough one. That's a tough one to get right because you got to get it right twice. You got to get it right on the way out and on the way in, tough to do. So holding period less than a year. Then I'm going to classify the next category as more traditional active management, similar to what we did at CLS. You're utilizing more granular 
asset classes, sector rotation, factor rotation, regional, or maybe even country rotation within the strategy, typical holding period, one to three years. Yeah, you can make the wrong call at times and performance may struggle, but it's not like what in the tactical bucket where it can completely derail. And then the third bucket, which is really closer to where dynamic investment management lives, is strategic. So these are longer three to five year outlooks on top-down asset class decisions. Again, those key asset classes that we determine, should we be in value versus growth, in small caps versus large caps, short duration versus large duration. They're dependent on high-level shifts in the macroeconomic and market environment. These cycles are long. You know, they can take several years to develop a full cycle. So that's why you're still doing active management, in my opinion, at the end of the day. It's just slower moving. So the point of the story is, is that choosing the right manager, you really need to partner with somebody. And the key word here is partner who you believe will be best for your clients, who you believe your personal philosophy and as an advisor aligns best with that investment manager. So we've kind of talked about a lot of the investment characteristics of investment managers, but beyond you know these investment capabilities, what else can set investment firms apart? I think you know we evaluated a lot of firms on the Orion Portfolio Solutions platform and doing the due diligence on a lot of those firms. It always became apparent everyone has their unique philosophy and their unique investment process, but. I think you see where I'm going here, Rusty. The third P, and oftentimes the first P, right? People, philosophy, process. The first P has consistently been the driving differentiator amongst investment firms, in my view. And just thinking about what that means to me and how I see it working at Dynamic is it's a focus on service. So do you have the service model that's designed to support your advisors. And the best example of that is our custom high net worth solutions. So for smaller advisors under a million, that's really where more model management is most beneficial. But when you get to that two, three, four, five million dollar range, you need a little more customization. And that's where it really requires that more wide glove service, you know, Typically, the process is you meet with an advisor and understand the situation. You get to know about the client's situation. What are they looking for? Then you design a completely custom portfolio. Does it require individual stocks, individual bonds? Is there tax consideration? Should it be state-specific municipal bonds? What type of ETFs are needed to round out the offering? And then alternative investments. Those have been really kind of hitting the the mainstream last few years. I think they're still important, private equity, private real estate, private credit, important or rounding out fully diversified portfolio. And then you create a proposal, something that looks nice. You can compete with other firms, with the larger firms, but more of that personalized approach. But you don't stop there. You don't just send somebody a proposal. You meet with the advisor again. You explain everything about the proposal, put together talking points, and heck, maybe even come to the client meeting and do the presentation because, again, it's a partnership. Then there's the implementation part of it. Again, a lot of people don't really think about the trading aspect of it. Oftentimes, there's 15 different accounts. This is qualified. This one's non-qualified. There's legacy positions that need to be transitioned over time. It's like a Rubik's Cube. It's like, that's almost more complex than anything else. And setting up the accounts, you know, what money needs to be set where. It's just, there's a lot in play. And then the ongoing management. So that's the level of service that I believe sets dynamic apart and really truly sets firms apart when you're trying to determine investment managers. Right on. 
I'm going to ask one more question before I give the ball back to Mike Tyson here. And that is you've talked about, <laughs> you've talked about, <laughs> you've talked about people and you also earlier talked about culture with Warren Buffett's comments as well. So I just want to ask a question about culture. What role do you think culture plays in terms of choosing the right partnership? Culture is everything. And I think everybody in the firm believes the same thing. Right. Rusty, you remember we kind of talked with Todd Clark, you know, about everybody needs to always be singing from the same hymnal. Everyone needs to be sharing the same message, no matter who you talk to within the company. And that's of integral importance to really having such a customer service firm that cares about their people. And when I think about culture, like, okay, what does that mean? You know, it's such a broad definition. I think a true culture has three components. Number one is the right people. You got to choose the right people. You got to work with the right people that fit in with that culture and kind of absorb it and become part of that culture. Number two, clear and easy to follow processes. You know, you have to have processes in place. That's how things get done. Can't just be gunslinging, but it has to be easy to follow. That's key and easy to explain, easy to understand. And the last one, it's something that I think Warren Buffett really believes in. And I think what put him on the map was that when he did that presentation about Solomon in the early 90s, you know, in front of Congress, and I don't have the quote in front of me, I'm sure I'll butcher it, but, you know, it's if you lose money for me, you know, I'll be understanding. If you lose a shred of reputation, I'll be ruthless. And the point is, is that culture has to be kind of absorbed in this idea of kind of compliance and doing the right thing. You know, for lack of a better word, everybody needs to take care of the clients, do everything in the best interest of the clients. That leads to this idea of taking care of your employees, taking care of your partners and relationships, taking care of your customers truly leads to a better experience. That's what culture is. Great. All right. Well, this has all been really interesting. But now for the real reason that you are here, Kostya. The real, real reason. The real reason. So everyone who knows you knows you're a movie buff. Rusty said, you. I think you've seen like everything that you can possibly see. So give us your must-see summer movies for the year. There are so many great movies coming out. Rusty, I know you're excited. I want your feedback on all these movies too. But first... All right. I'm officially calling it right now. As of right now, as of today, it's the end of the streaming wars. So you saw the Disney earnings release, right? They're losing subscribers. They're spending way too much money on content. I think Netflix has realized this. I think Hulu, I think there's not going to be any more entrance and really there's going to be more consolidation. And we've kind of gotten spoiled in the COVID era of a new TV show every week, a new movie every day. I think there's going to be less, but it's going to be higher quality. And what I mean by that is back to making big blockbusters for the big screen, the way that movies were truly supposed to be watched. And I think this summer is the starting point. The death of the streaming wars means the rebirth of, you know, cinema. So first off, I'm going to gloat a little bit. Rusty, <laughs> I don't have the recording, but if you listen to last year's podcast that I did, I said, hey, Rusty, before we dive into the summer movies, I want to tell you about a movie I saw last night, or it was maybe like last week. And I said, don't look at any trailers of it. Just go watch this movie because it's one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. And that movie was, drumroll, everything, everywhere, all at once. So that was almost a year before it won an Oscar or it cleaned house and won almost every Oscar there is. So this year I'm making a similar call. Oh, this is huge. Nice There's setup. a movie, movie I watched last week. Now I'm not saying it's going to win an Oscar because it's a little too bloody, which actually <laughs> makes me like it even more. But in terms of the story, the directing. Little Mermaid? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I took a guess. Too soon, sorry. Uh, not quite. The sound, <laughs> the sound is phenomenal. The visual effects. It's a truly a masterpiece. You have to see it, please. It's a foreign film. And the name is 
Do you know it? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't think I do. The name is Sisu. Sisu? I haven't heard I of have that. like 30 movies written down on my <laughs> when I prepared, and that's not on there. <laughs> you, you put it at the top of your list. Sisu. All right. Let's so let's let's dive in into the, the summer blockbusters without further yeah. ado. So the first one, sorry, Rusty. I know you want forward-looking stuff. It's already out but I have to mention it. It kind of kicked off the summer season, I think, and it's the new Fast and the Furious. Now, it holds a special place in my heart and Grant's heart, as you know, the nostalgia for us 90s kids is all about Fast and the Furious and the budget. You know, not known for the greatest acting in these movies, but it's got 340 million budget. That's like pushing Avatar status. So if nothing else, it's going to have a lot of production value. So I'm sure worth checking out. If nothing else, for the great one-liners too, the best (laughs) one-liners. So you did mention Little Mermaid. It is one of my favorite Disney movies, but they're kind of hit or miss on the transition to live action. So I'm lowering my expectations there. What has really worked out in the transition is Spider-Man going animated. You remember Into the Spider-Verse? So the sequel across the Spider-Verse is coming out. Like we need more multiverse movies. The last one was really well done. I typically don't do this, but I loved the first one so much. I forced my wife to watch it. And she is so anti-animated movie. She didn't even like movies. I'm not sure what we're doing together. But, <laughs> but she, she, I forced her to watch it and she loved it too. So if that's any indication of expectations might be a little too high for this next one. So speaking of superhero movies, so a lot of stuff coming out is Marvel based, but DC I think is making a comeback with The Flash, really highly anticipated. And to me, it's anticipated because of one, and absolutely one cast member. Now, do I dare spill it here, who it is? Is it in the trailer? It is in the trailer. Okay, it's not like the end of Sixth Sense. I'm not like spoiling, (laughs) like some kind of a cliffhanger. It's Michael Keaton, right? He's reprising his role as Batman. So, I mean, for that alone, I mean, come on. The original Batman. Okay, so Rusty, I was going to ask you about this one. So I know you were a big fan of Pacific Rim. I'm still trying to figure out why. But did you ever get into the Transformers franchise? Well, Pacific Rim was a guilty pleasure with my son. And I still actually, even though I am more of an indie, artsy movie house guy, there are summer movies. And the first Transformers is one of the ultimate summer movies. Pacific Rim wasn't as great as we all hoped, but it still had great sound effects, dang it. Yes, yes, I'll give you that one. So yeah, a new Transformers. I think we're due for one. Rise of the Beasts. Again, just think about these new movies I'm naming off. Huge budget, huge production value. Should be amazing visuals. Just don't sit in the front front row. I remember I, I went to a premiere of one of the Transformers and only the front row was open. This was before Assigned Seats. And honestly, all of the movements, I couldn't even tell what was going on half the time because there's so much going on on screen. So just just be prepared for that. All right. So, Rusty, is Wes Anderson your favorite director? I wouldn't say he's my favorite, but he's among my favorites. Yes. Well, I know you like a lot of his movies for sure. Yeah. I, I like them too. Life Aquatic, just hand. Isle of Dogs. I love dogs, even even weirder. You pick the weirdest ones, Uh, but very unique movies. He has a very unique directorial that you can't see it anywhere else. And always, always just full of A-list actors. So Asteroid City coming out this summer should definitely be a differentiator. All right. So Rusty, do you remember when Everything Everywhere won Best Picture? Who gave the award? No. It was Harrison Ford. Do you know why he did that? Nope. Robin, you got to know this one, right? I don't know this one. You're the movie expert. That's why you're on. <laughs> it's because Ki-Hu Kwan, who won the best, was it supporting actor? 
What's that, Rusty? I don't know. <laughs> He's in everything, everywhere. He is in the Temple of Doom, 1984. He's the little boy. Short round. Oh my gosh. We're going deep here. Yeah. That is really deep. He walked out on stage. I mean, it almost brought tears to my eyes. They were hugging. It was like a reunion. Indiana Jones reunites with Short Round after 30. Were you the only one who got it? Did everyone else do? <laughs> I hope not. That's why they did it, I think. There's no way that could be an accident. So anyways, the point is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Indy's making a comeback. It's got to be one of the last ones. Harrison's getting old, too. But, you know, that moment in the Oscars, kind of just that nostalgia that it brings back, just something about seeing Indiana Jones makes me feel like everything's okay with the world. You know, I don't know if, if anybody else gets that. But one of my favorite actors, Mads Mikkelsen, plays an amazing villain. He's like the villain in every movie. And he's in this one too. By the way, one of my favorite movies, Another Round, one foreign language, best movie a few years ago. Definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. So I know one you're excited about, Rusty, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. And when I think about, you know, Tom Cruise, you know, think of what you will off the screen, but like everything he's in, he just gives 100, 200% right? He's doing his own stunts. He's like super emotional, even when maybe he shouldn't be. It's just entertaining to watch. And you know, he's, he's a movie star. Ridiculous. Yeah. It's just, if you haven't seen Top Gun, you can tell how passionate he is. And I think this one will be no different. So the next one might surprise you, Barbie. All right. I have it on my list of asking questions. Yeah. So Rusty, I'm sorry. I'm playing trivia with you so much. Why do you think Barbie's on my list? Well, there's so many reasons. Well, Ryan Gosling's in it. That's it. You that's got it. on my list. Oh, that's already the first one. But Margot Robbie's in it. It's also directed by what Greta Gerwig and yeah. her partner Noah Baumbach or whatever. I mean, with all those names, it sounds like it'd be a silly movie. But with all those names, how can it not work? <laughs> I absolutely love Gosling, as you know, and never miss one of his movies and. He just looks hilarious in this one. So I'm super excited. It's like, I know you and I love the movie Drive with him in it. The music alone is just phenomenal. So I feel like Barbie's going to be like a sequel to Drive. <laughs> that would be so cool, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one of the most anticipated movies of the year is Oppenheimer. So the story of the building of the atom bomb Christopher Nolan, right? Anything he touches seems to turn to gold, but he also does this genre that I think you and I like, Rusty, these kind of intense movies like Dunkirk and Memento, just these movies that you, he kind of bends the way you think about, you know, these simple concepts. So Dunkirk is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's great. And I'll just be curious to see what he does with this one, but I never actually looked at the full list of who's in the movie. Did you look? I mean, the list. Cillian Murphy. Yeah, Cillian yeah, Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Rami Malek, Casey Affleck, Gary Oldson. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't go wrong. Never heard of him. So that's going to kind of cap off the end of the summer, which will be a great one. But there's a couple of Easter eggs I'm going to throw out for you guys. The first one is... One of the greatest directors in movie history is making his last movie this year. It's not Scorsese, although that might come back as an additional Easter egg. So, Arresti, I'm going to just keep quizzing you today. Today is just me picking on you. <laughs> Do you know who Hayao Miyazaki is? Oh, yeah, I do. I thought he was already done. He has retired three times, but he says okay. this one is for sure <laughs> the last one. So he is the lead director for Studio Ghibli, Oscar winner for Spirited Away. He did Which House. is one of my favorite movies of all time. Absolutely. Yeah. And mine yeah. is Princess Mononoke. And I know you and I both like Howl's Moving Castle, but the list goes on and on. So How Do You Live is the name of the movie coming out mid-July. So super excited about that. 
great find. Yeah, and as you know, in addition to movies, I also really like video games. And one of my favorite video games of all time is Gran Turismo, racing game. And there's a movie being made about essentially a contest they did. It's a true story. The contest was if you win the video game contest, you have an opportunity to become a real race car driver. I remember competing in it. I think I did okay. I was in the top half million. But the guy that won goes on to become a real race car driver. And it's the story of him. So I'm a special place in my heart for that. All right. This one, probably the one I'm looking forward to the most. It's called Killers of Flower Moon. This one is Scorsese, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. I don't think I need to say anything else. You know this is going to be an instant classic. Three and a half hour runtime. To me, that's a plus. I love long movies. It just means there's longer to enjoy awesomeness. And then I'm going to leave you guys with one last one. So I usually don't like horror. I know you know that, Rusty. But I'm a little excited about this one. The Exorcist sequel is coming out on Friday, October 13th, which is also my birthday. So for a lot of reasons, this might be the first horror movie I ever go see in the theater. Just a couple quick follow-ups. There is a lot of scary movies this summer, which I'll probably have to see a couple given the teenagers in my house. But the Dracula movie, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, Demeter, whatever, that does look pretty good. The uh, One of the funniest trailers is Strays, the animated movie with the dogs. It is not an animated movie for little kids, though. It's got Will Ferrell. <laughs> it's funny. There is kind of an artsy-fartsy movie called Eight Mountains. I do love to hike mountains, and so that's on my list. And then it's already out. And the last one, which is the number one most anticipated movie on some list, is Guardians, the third part of Guardians. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it's already out. Yeah, it's out. Yeah, I didn't put it in there, but I absolutely love the first two Guardians. And it might be one of the most well-liked of all the Marvel franchises. One last question on movies before we move on. So on Guardians, I have been multiple dinner party conversations where there have been arguments over which one was better, the first or the second Guardians. Robin, otherwise known as Mike Tyson. How about I've never seen any of them? Whoa! Stop it. Stop it. You must not be from America. I don't want to. (laughs) No, seriously, if you see the beginning of the second one, you will be you will be pulled in. It's so darn Mm, fun. I don't think I will though. (laughs) I just love the first. I know they both have amazing music, but the first one I think the music wins out, and that's what wins my heart. See, I go number two. But anyway, cool. Well, that that was awesome because even though I wrote down all these movies, you definitely gave me some stuff I did not know about. So I'm now even more pumped for summer movies this year. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great list. Absolutely. I love talking movies. You guys know that. All right. Well, we have more questions. I don't know if we have time for them, but hey, let's get through them. Okay. So these are some of the questions that we like to ask all of our guests on the show. And you probably have answered this before, but oh, you might this might be a new one for you. So considering your years of experience... Uh, your expertise that you have access to. Kostya, what's currently your favorite investment idea? Oh, all right, Rusty, buckle up. This is going to be the craziest, you know, emerging market, e-commerce. Actually, my favorite idea right now is bonds. (laughs) Just bonds. Just bonds. Nice. So let's see. Number one, still trading at a discount. It's not like stocks. They have to revert back to par eventually. Number two, the best indication of future return is current yield. The highest yields we've seen in a really long time. Number three, the Fed may be done hiking. The most likely trajectory going forward is probably rates coming down. And there's higher potential of a recession. You know, whether it's a small recession or a large recession, you know, there's always a flight to safety and correlations have been coming down. You know, last year, you know, was a strange year where correlations were positive and we're back to the normal when stocks go down, bonds go up. I mean, I don't know if you coined this expression. I'm going to give you the quote, but when I say it, I'm going to give credit to myself, but it's spring loaded. 
So I don't know. When's the last time you heard that bonds were spring-loaded? It has been a while. <laughs> well, Spring-loaded and ready to go. <laughs> yep. The 60-40 is not dead. Not by a long shot. The train is about ready to leave the station. <laughs> awesome. Well, of course, another one of our questions is that we all have to perform at a high level. And obviously, you have a lot of energy coaches. So how do you maintain your energy, both mentally and physically, to ensure you're performing at a high level, both professionally and personally? Do you often get similar answers? Is there some similarities? Um, they're kind of all over the place. Well, you could say people have morning routines, you know, yeah. own the morning, win the morning is probably common. But really, we do get a nice range. I agree with Robin. I feel like the thing that like gets me motivated, both in my professional and personal life and kind of always keeps me on the fast track, always keeps me going, is looking forward to something. Just always having, it's not like setting goals because goals aren't, you know, tied to you. It's looking forward to seeing somebody, looking forward to this podcast, looking forward to summer movies, a John Wick. Yeah. I mean, I know this is going to be delayed, but it's Tuesday, which is when movies come out for streaming and John Wick 4 comes out today. So I'll be checking that out later. So, I mean, that's what's keeping me going. You know, I should probably throw in somewhere seeing my kids, you know, at the end of the day, my <laughs> wife, uh, you know, those things keep me going too, but just always having something to, because otherwise life might not be as enjoyable. You know, you don't want to go to your work miserable every day. You always want something fun to look forward to and exciting. So that really what drives me. So it's like they talk about vacations when they look at sort of the cumulative satisfaction people get from a vacation. A lot of it, it comes from the planning and the anticipation mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, you've kind of talked about some of your answers to this question a little bit, and I think I know where you're going to go with it. But talk about the people in your career that have influenced you and helped you get to where you are. Who are those people that you are professionally thankful for? Hmm. So when I think about you know, the team that really got me to where I am today, it's the original CLS investment management team. And Rusty's the coach, right? It was just such a close-knit group. Talk about culture, great culture. We're all just intertwined. But again, the atmosphere was that we're all best friends, but we're also bitter rivals, right? So you know, the saying goes, there would be no Coke without Pepsi or vice versa. You know, sometimes the best friends are the rivals and they drive each other to be better. And I wouldn't have it any other way. But I was just reflecting on, on that old team and how far everybody's gone in a relatively short amount of time. Just wanted to kind of go through the lineup, you know. So Rusty, you might have to help me make sure I cover everybody and where they're at. I'm not even exactly sure on some of them, but I'd like to start with the original three, the three musketeers. We got Josh <laughs> Jenkins, who's CIO at Lutz, Grant Engelbart, Senior Portfolio Manager at Brinker, and myself. I think those were the original three. And if those are the musketeers, then Case is definitely D'Artagnan, right? <laughs> he's, he's the Senior Client PM at Brinker. Then we've got Michael Haddon, who's a PM also at Brinker, and Gene Frerichs, also still at Orion, the franchise, as we like to call them. There were two people. These are the only two people that I can say this about. Gene and Jackson Lee, who's working as a PM on direct indexing for Bestmark. But those two people, Gene and Jackson, are the only two people who could produce a spreadsheet with a a million numbers on it. And I had a hundred percent trust that every number was correct. Hmm. I, I don't know if you've ever met anybody that you could say that about. Next, we got Giovanni Zelaya, director of investments at Ludaca Wealth Partners. Nick Cadola, my old right-hand man running the day-to-day -day investment management at Wealth Plan. Joe Smith, founder of Party Pre. Apollo Week, VP at Commerce Trust, and Feff, Mark Pfeffer, co-founder uh, M2M Capital. 
So we got founders, CIOs, senior portfolio managers, VPs. I mean, when you think back on it, Rusty, where we all started, that's quite the... You got the Mark Matthews, Alex Liu, Dustin Dorhouts. I mean, it, it just keeps going on and I'm afraid of names we're forgetting too, but yeah. Yeah, just an all-star list if you put it all together. We need a reunion soon. All right, well, one more for you, Kostya. Tell us what you're reading and listening to at the moment. Do you have recommendations for our listeners? So I think this may have been the recommendation from last year, but since today's call is kind of Berkshire and Warren Buffett themed, he did an amazing tribute or paying his respect to Ben Graham at the meeting this year. It was really impactful. And he talked about the most important investment book of all time that changed his life. And as you know, Rusty, it changed my life too. As a junior and undergrad, I had no interest in investing until I read this book in finance class. And it literally changed the trajectory of my whole life. But the book, of course, is The Intelligent Investor. Here it is. It's never not within arm's reach, no matter where I go. And I think the true impact of the book is it's often referred as the market Bible because it has withstood the test of time. It was originally published in 1949. And think about how much has changed since then with investing, with new products. But the concepts are still valid to this day. It's the oldest, the most sold investment book. I don't think it could ever be matched. It's withstood the test of time, despite all the reprints and everything, but it has never changed from its original philosophy. And that just ties back into, you know, the way that the culture works at Berkshire, the way that the culture works at Orion, the way that the culture works at Dynamic. It's these long lasting concepts that are not dependent on any one person and these core philosophies will just live on in perpetuity. It's really, truly an inspiring book. Awesome. All right. Well, Kostya, it's been so great to see you. So great to chat with you and catch up. Thanks so much for coming on again. And before you go, tell us how can listeners stay in touch with you and your team at Dynamic? Yeah, absolutely. So the best thing about Dynamic is we're always available from a certain client service is our kind of number one culture philosophy. So always available for calls to talk about the markets, the strategies, or if you want to talk about the movies. <laughs> and the best way to reach out would be through LinkedIn, shoot me an email, phone call, or just going through the website, dynamicadvisorsolutions.com. And it's really easy to get in touch with us. Awesome. Well, Kosha, this has become an annual tradition with the summer movies and everything. So we're glad you're you're a good sport for it. And um, obviously, I'll talk to you well before then, because you already talked about reindeer games earlier. And of course, I look forward to beating you in fantasy football again this fall. So <laughs> again, thanks for, for being on the show. And I look forward to seeing you this fall. I can't wait. <laughs> thanks, Rusty. Thanks, Robin. Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final words. Invest well and be well. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And hey, don't forget to subscribe if you like this episode. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. Thanks again for listening. Robin and I truly appreciate you giving us some of your valuable time. We hope to provide you in each episode something you can use in conversations or making decisions or both. If you like this podcast, you might also like some of our sister podcasts at Orion Advisor Solutions. First, we have the Wang the Risk podcast, which I host monthly. On behalf of Orion Risk Intelligence, this is where we consider various market scenarios regarding top-of-mind concerns among financial advisors and investors. Next, we have one of the top-rated and most popular podcasts in the financial industry, especially when it comes to behavioral finance, Dr. Daniel Crosby's Weekly Standard Deviations podcast. And when it comes to all things fintech, we also have the bi-weekly The Fuse Show with Ryan Donovan and George Figuera, two of the funniest guys in the industry. You will learn something and laugh in every episode. Last, when it comes to more content, including commentary, videos, and other resources, please check out the website, orionportfoliosolutions.com, go to the research drop-down menu, and go to the Financial Advisor Success Hub. Thanks again, invest well and be well, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.
The Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Officer at Orion Advisors Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com. All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information that participants consider reliable.